You're listening to the Morphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Morphology Podcast, aka Murph here, to share interviews about biking experiences from cyclists who have pedaled to places all over. Each week, we'll get to know new people and explore new destinations to ride your bike. As you listen to these adventures, you may wonder, why haven't I done that yet? On this episode, meet Jerry Kopak. He just released his new book titled, The World Spins By, and he's on to talk about the book, along with how he got out of the corporate world and into bike touring. While owning and running a hospice business with his mom, Jerry got a firsthand look at how much of a gift time really is, and he keeps this in the back of his mind as he chooses how to live his life. Jerry has pretty much been a biker his whole life, and he shares some of his world travels via bike, where he's met strangers who have become lifelong friends. His website is jerrykopak.com. You can find the link in the show notes. And this is where you can purchase his book, read his travel blog, and so much more. So here's Jerry. All right. I would like to welcome Jerry Kopak to the podcast. How's it going, Jerry? Hey, Murph. So great to talk to you. I know we've been trading messages for a little while. I'm glad we finally found some time to make this work. Yeah, me too. And it's a pretty epic time in your life right now because, spoiler alert, you've just launched a book. Yikes. That is a crazy thing to hear out loud. <laughs> um, but it's it's true. I never... I, did, I wasn't one of those kids who grew up thinking, oh, I want to be a writer. This was just one of those things that just sort of came to be. Oh, that's that's an awesome story right in itself. So, yeah. um, so the book is called The World Spins By, and I definitely, you know, you're on the podcast to talk about it. But before we get in too deep with the book, do you want to maybe just give a highlight about yourself so that listeners know who Jerry Kopak is? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'll start off by saying I am a month away from my 49th birthday, which also I haven't said that out loud yet and <laughs> is also shocking. Where does the time go? But uh, yeah, I grew up in pretty much iconic middle America in a small town in Michigan. Oh, yeah. Middle of, middle of five boys, uh, moved to Boulder for college and essentially never left. Wow. Colorado. I mean, especially if you're outdoorsy, you've got a little bit of everything year round. So I don't know that I would ever leave either if I actually got there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's been a pretty wonderful place and I'm, I'm fortunate. It sounds odd, but my, my parents got divorced when I was probably four years old. My dad stayed in Michigan. My mom moved to Colorado. And so I spent half the year in Colorado, half the year in Michigan. And so I was just really fortunate to grow up in two pretty amazing states. Right. And whereabouts in Michigan? Uh, middle, there's this little small town called Eaton Rapids, just about 20 minutes south of Lansing. So okay. 5,000 people, 150 people in my graduating class. You know, unless you grew up in that area, you've probably never heard of it, like any of the other small towns in the Midwest. 
Sure. Yes, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm a Midwesterner as well. So I, I right. completely understand that. But I will say, um, I you know, I'm trying to ride my bike in all 50 states. And Michigan is still on my list. And I have some friends that have really done some amazing tours of Michigan. And of course, off the top of my head, I can't recall any of them. But the <laughs> photographs, the, you know, the views, the places they go, um, it's, it's something I need to get done sooner rather than later. Agree. The West Coast all along Lake Michigan is incredible. And the UP is the Upper Peninsula to those of you not from the Midwest or mm -hmm. Michigan. Mm -hmm. The UP is spectacular. Rolling hills, dense forests, lack of people. But the people you do meet are just the kindest people you'll meet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, it's true. It's on my list. Maybe 2023 will be my year to hit Michigan. Uh, so if you've ever watched any of the, the Warren Miller iconic ski films throughout the last 20, 30, 40 years, one of his sort of catchphrases is, if you don't do it this year, you'll be one year older when you do it, Ooh, which is, is kind of like, it's kind of cheeky and silly, but it makes sense. Yeah, it's totally true. I'm going to have to write that one down. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. You, um, I'm, I don't know if you grew up. Uh, biking. So maybe you could give us a highlight there. And then maybe fast forward to the point where you kind of had a maybe a life changing job or a business you were part of. I don't want to steal your thunder, but kind of, <laughs> you know, give us some some background there. Yeah, thanks. Uh, bikes, honestly, have always been a part of my life. I think ever since I was learning how to ride bikes on a dirt road in rural Michigan, just racing up and down, wind in my hair, the gravel probably in my teeth or in my knees when I crashed. Uh, it just provided this ultimate sense of, of freedom. And I remember I got my first real sort of grown-up bike. It was, a, it was a 10 speed. It was a Schwinn mm. and it, had, it was black and gold. And I think my dad maybe paid 200 bucks for it. And for our family, that was, it was all the money in the world. But I set off on my first real bike ride to my friend's house and in, in Michigan, we would say you're going out into the country, which mm. is basically means you're, you're leaving the small town that you're in. And so it was a five mile ride, which at the time when I was probably 12 years old, might as well have been 500 miles. It was <laughs> the biggest undertaking I've ever thought of. And so I got all psyched up. I had a water bottle full of Mountain Dew, a pocket full of Snickers because that's what kids do in the eighties. And I set off on this epic journey. And so that's kind of how biking has always been a part of my life. And that just transitioned later into some amateur bike races. And then late, uh, most recently got into some bike touring over the last eight to 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I'm picturing you as a 12-year-old with your shiny new, um, did you say 12-speed or 10-speed? It was a 10-speed. It was a 10-speed Schwinn. Oh, yeah. I'm sure, like, I, I can't imagine getting on my childhood bike now and biking to the places I biked as a 12 year old. Like I think <laughs> I was almost always on gravel, no helmet, you know, probably drinking as much Mountain Dew as you at just like, it's crazy to think that, you know, even if like your kids today, they probably have on padded suits, you know, <laughs> a full face helmet, you know, the whole works. It's different, right? So helmets were like, what? No one has a helmet. I mean, obviously in, in cars, nobody had child seats. Nobody had seat belts. Yeah, it's, it was all just throw caution to the wind and we'll see how this works out. And fortunately, 
it all worked out. I'm still here. My brain cells are all still intact. Got all <laughs> my teeth. So I think, I think it's working out just fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then, um, segue into it, you, you started running a business with your mom. Yeah. Yeah. So before that, I, I, I went to business school in Boulder and I was following kind of what I think is this, this, what do you call it? Like a, a laminated roadmap to success that you go to, go to school, you get a good job, you buy a house, you meet the girl and, and that should translate into to success and happiness. Mm. And I started off with the federal reserve, which I guess to some people may sound cool, but it was really a super boring and uninspiring job. And it just progressed into a series of further uninspiring, heartless jobs that it didn't matter how hard I worked, how many more hours I put in, it didn't make an impact in people's lives. Mm. And so at the time I had this revelation that the ripe old age of 31, which is not a very old age to start having this sort of reckoning in my life. My mom was on vacation in Mexico with her husband and I won't try to replicate the emotion in her voice because I just can't because she's mm -hmm. just this very jubilant woman. And she calls me up from Mexico. And I, at first it was odd that she even called me from Mexico because she's on holiday. But my mom and I are close. So I answered the phone. She said, before I can even say anything, she said, Jerry, I know what I want to do. Because she at the same time was also not loving her, her job that she was in. And I said, okay, what is it, mom? And by the way, how's your trip in Mexico? She's like, right. oh, hold on. <laughs> I want to start a hospice and you should, what you should know about me is I have a bit of a dry sense of humor. I'm sometimes snarky, a little sarcastic. And I said in my sort of 31 year old sarcastic tone, like hmm, a hospice. I don't know that I want to start a place where transient students or other people who are backpacking across the country go to sleep. She oh. said, no, <laughs> I'm talking about a hospice, not a hostel. And dumbfounded, I said, what's a hospice? And at that point, I had no idea about what death and dying was or caring for people at the end of life. Because, again, I was 31 and I was on this this corporate road that I had been following for the last 10 years. And so she pitched this idea to me. And just with the excitement and passion in her voice, it very quickly became a passion of mine. Mm. And... Probably three months later, we launched this hospice in Boulder, Colorado. And specifically, a hospice is a place for end-of-life care. Is that, am I saying it right? I want to make sure I'm not, you're not talking about a hostel. <laughs> I am not talking about a hostel as much as I thought it was the same. Uh, a hospice is end-of-life care. And mm. it's not necessarily always a place. For our hospice, we and we strove, strove to keep people in their homes where we felt they were the most oh, okay. comfortable with their most familiar surroundings. But there are facilities where people can go at that time in their lives. But mm -hmm. that isn't the services that we provided. And this is probably a weird question when you're talking about a hospice, but um, did, was the business successful? And I, and I don't mean that because, you know, obviously yeah. the end result with every one of your patients is, you know, death, but can you define like how it worked? Great. Yeah. So without getting into too much detail as far as the clinical terminology, but when patients have a life limiting illness, they want to be kept as comfortable as they possibly can. And mm -hmm. so hospice comes in and provides 
palliative care and treatment for symptoms and other and other aspects of their of their disease. And so to define success is we had this this motto around our office is that every day is an opportunity to improve someone's life. Right. And there's not many other careers that you can choose in the world that you can actually make that statement and it and have it be true. Mm -hmm. And so success was it wasn't just to support people, it's to support their families as well and to help them not, how do I say this? Basically our goal was to help them live well with the time that they had remaining. And so that's really how we define success. Mm -hmm. I love it. And just a side note, I had to go through hospice with both of my parents at different times in their lives. And it was life-changing for me. I mean, obviously, just the whole experience was life-changing, but the the passion that the people that were part of the hospice and palliative care was, I don't know, it just, it definitely changed my life as far as seeing other people caring about your loved ones as much as you do. It's incredible, and it takes a very special person with what my mom would call the hospice heart to really be a part of this, this industry, mm-hmm. um, to, to provide this, this service, this incredible service to, to patients and their families. And it, it changed my life in, in a matter of weeks. At first I thought I was just going to be helping my mom maybe launch this, this vision of hers, but very quickly on, as I mentioned, this, this vision, this passion became mine and it's been the single most influential thing in my entire life. I, I can imagine. And how did your experience at the hospice, running a hospice, like carry over into bike touring and the biking that you do? Huh, that's such a great question. Um, I came across this quote several years ago, six, seven, eight years ago, and I don't know who it's by. I'm not sure if it's even a famous quote, but it just it resonated with me then. And it resonates with me every day. And every day along the bike tours, and it has to do with this concept of a gift of time. Mm. And so I'll paraphrase it, but essentially it states that every person has a time bank and every day, 86,400 seconds are deposited into that time bank. No one will tell you how to spend them. Time misspent won't be refunded. At some point in your life, whether it's today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, etc., you'll go to that time bank and you'll find out that it's empty. And it's at that moment you'll know the answer to this question. Did I use my time well? Mm. And so that, that mentality, that quote, that mindset is something that's been sticking with me ever since we started the hospice. And when I was bike traveling, even if it's a terrible day, as you know, you're, you're a bike traveler, if it's been raining sideways and 38 degrees, and you're getting just doused with, with water on the highway. I have this mentality, like this is still a gift. This time, this opportunity is still a gift. Mm -hmm. And as terrible as this might be, you'll miss it when it's gone. Mm -hmm. And so that's been sort of my driving mantra for life, for business, for bike touring, for relationships. It's all about how precious our time is. Wow. Well said. And it, and it really segues to the next question I was going to ask, and it's specific about time. Tell us how a four-week tour that you planned 
turned into two years? <laughs> That's a great question. And it's again, it's a great story too. So after 10 years, uh, my mom was turning 70 and she wanted to retire and rightfully so. And so we had been running this hospice as a team for, for 10 years. And after a while, you know, she needed to retire and I needed to try something else in life because I was 41, 42 years old. And so I also had a few other things that changed in my life. Um, I'll, I'll take this back a quick second here, then I'll get into how this two months turned, turned into to two years or four yeah. weeks, you know, two years. Another hospice story. So we would have patients, of course, of, of varying ages, but the most of them were in their 80s, 90s. And it was very common to, to form relationships with people, some of our patients. And so it'd be easy to say that we had a 95-year-old World War II veteran who was dying of cancer. And as tragic as that might be, I could still, in my mind, make some sort of semblance of, of making this better by saying that he probably had a really good life. He's 95, he's mm -hmm. lived his full life. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until a really close friend of mine who died at age 45 of breast cancer, that it really hit me and became real. That again, this, this time we have is a gift. And so once we separated from the hospice and my mom and I both stepped away from that, uh, I had been so involved in running a hospice and the rest of my career prior to the hospice, I'd never really taken any time off. So I got on a bike and I started traveling and I went first to, to Zambia to see an old high school friend who was working down there from there, I met somebody else who said you should go into Zimbabwe. And from there, I met someone else who should go to Madagascar. And then when I was in Madagascar, I met a woman who was from India. I was telling her about my travels. And she said, if you like mountains and you like adventure, then you should definitely go to India. So wow. I said, you're right. You're right. I should definitely go to India. And again, this all goes back to that premise of a gift of time. Like I, I was fortunate enough in some ways that I had this opportunity to, to take some time off of work. And so I had gone through India and I was traveling through Nepal. And after being gone a couple of months, I, I was getting ready to leave. I was back in Kathmandu, which by the way, if you haven't been to Kathmandu is an absolutely beautifully crazy, insane, chaotic culture and city. Mm. One of the most cool experiences I've ever been. But so I was traveling and I, back through Kathmandu and I met this, this Swiss couple and they started sharing their stories about where they had been. And I was reflecting back with them where I had been. And the, 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 the husband's, his name was Evo. He said, so what are you doing next week? I said, well, you know, I'm probably heading back to Colorado. I've been gone for two months. And he said, we've been gone for two years. I thought, what? How <laughs> How in the world, I mean, I have so many questions. How do you do that financially, physically? Like, how? How do you do that? And so, you know, he explains a little bit. They were teachers, and they take some time off. And he said, yeah, we've been gone for two years. And so two, two months is, okay, whatever. And they had been through North America, from the north to the south, Africa, south to the north, all through the Middle East, through, through Russia, through America, on the Great Divide routes all these different things. And he said, so, okay, besides being gone two months, why are you going home? I said, I don't understand your question. Okay. Right. Are you, do you have a job? No. Are you married? No. Do you have kids? No. A dog? No. 
okay, let me ask you again, why are you going home? And dumbfounded, I, I didn't have a good answer. And so I asked him, well, what did you have in mind? Since I've known you for an hour and a half now, <laughs> he said, we're going to keep cycling through the middle of Nepal into Eastern Nepal and then into Northeast India. Would you like to come? And thinking to myself, like, this is the craziest thing that I've ever thought of. But I had been traveling up until this point with this mindset to, to always say yes. And it was just a lesson that I had learned through running a hospice because as much as you think you can control things and me, I'm a, I'm a type A control freak. I realized that there's certain things in my life, like the death of a close friend that I just can't control. And the only thing you can control is how you deal with that adversity. Oh, yes. So I started traveling with this mindset to always say yes. And I said to myself silently, if I really believe what I've been telling myself all this time, then I should go with these guys. And so I did. Wow. And we, we traveled together with this couple who I'd known for seriously an hour and a half. And of course you think like I'm on a bike, they're on bikes. The worst thing can happen is we travel at different speeds. We annoy each other. We don't laugh at the same jokes, whatever. And we just, we split up and we part ways, but we stayed together every day, 24 seven shared hotel rooms, camp next to each other for the next probably six months. That is and epic. It was, yeah, it was absolutely incredible. And to this day, they're still some of my closest friends. They, they live over in Switzerland and just an amazing, adventurous couple. That. I, I'm speechless as far as like, <laughs> there's so many questions, comments, thoughts that I have running through my head. But I guess the the biggest question would be, are you glad you did it? Oh, gosh. Yeah. Outside of running a hospice for those 10 years, it was the single most important decision that I think I've ever made in my life. Mm. Just just that idea to sort of relax your grip and this this tight vice like that you think you have of your life, this control you have of your life, because ultimately you don't. Mm. And, and I learned along the way that this idea of adventure, this idea of curiosity that drove me, like the, the, the true adventure, the true stories happen somewhere on this intersection of, of fear and control. And if you can sort of harness your fear and relax your, this need for control and just, let your bike roll with it or let your spirit roll with it. If you're not on a bike, it's, it's powerful. It's moving. It's, it's impactful in your life. Hmm. Wow. So much to think about. Like I, I want to be like, all right, listeners, let's take a 10 minute pause and think about, <laughs> think about time and about, you know, always saying yes. Like, Oh, that's great. And it's, it's hard. It's really hard to say yes, because saying no, it gives you that level of control. Mm -hmm. And when you say yes and you open yourself up to things, it's scary. But to this point, it, it hasn't, it hasn't wronged me. Oh, wow. Well, let's like from there, I can already tell you that I know that you have plenty of stories floating around in your head at this point in your life. And so at some point you said, I'm going to document all this and write a book. And The World Spins By was born. So let's get into that. Okay. Okay. So as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I definitely was not the, um, the, uh, the kid who read a lot of books in school. I definitely did not want to write a book. I wanted to be a professional athlete until I realized that five foot ten Caucasian guys from Michigan don't have a lot of shot making it into the NBA. 
and, and there wasn't a professional soccer league, so I definitely wasn't going to go that route either. But yeah, I honestly just started writing a little blog uh, just for to to tell my mom and my dad and some of my select friends that, hey, I'm okay, I'm safe, even though I'm traveling to places that you've probably never heard of and don't even know where they are in the world. I'm doing well, I'm safe, and I'm enjoying life. And so I just started just writing stories. And they weren't, you know, they weren't, they weren't travel logs. Like I didn't write, I, I rode my bike for four hours today, over 3,000 miles, or sorry, 30 miles and 3,000 feet of climb. They weren't, they weren't things like that because I didn't find that was very insightful or helpful. So I would write stories about the people that I would meet and the emotions that it inspired in me and the kindness of people that was bestowed upon me. And shortly thereafter that, after a few posts, people who are not named mom and dad started to comment and say, hey, these are really cool stories. Mm. Keep them coming. And then after three months, six months, nine months, a year and a half, people said, hey, you should do something with this. And I had never thought about it, honestly. I just really enjoyed the creative outlet. Uh, and then, I don't know, flash forward back a couple of years ago, flash forward past the trip, fast, <laughs> back past COVID, uh, COVID happened. Mm-hmm. And I, just, I had some time on my hands, so I started just writing. And it just started to come out of me. I started, I used a lot of the basis of, of the blogs, but I also realized that just a story about bike traveling isn't that compelling, at least in my opinion. And so I started talking about what it was like to grow up in, in mid-Michigan. My dad is a Korean War veteran, so he's super strict. And all my friends and myself, I mean, I'm a junior, so we always called him Big Jer. And so Big Jer, to all my friends, is just this larger-than-life, big teddy bear guy but has this really stern and strict upbringing that he, that he brought me up with. Mm-hmm. And so there's stories there. There's stories, obviously, and lessons learned from running a hospice. And then how do all these, these two things sort of dovetail into how I viewed the world as I was traveling and also what else did I learn while I was traveling while trying to employ these mindsets to, to always say yes. And pretty soon it just came into, came into a story. I love it. And so the book is called The World Spins By. Who do you think your audience is for this book? Like, do you think it's people who like touring? Do you think it's people who just like to hear stories? Or have you decided yet? Uh, the answer to both those questions, I think is yes. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be probably people of, of a varying age range. So people who are maybe in their twenties, thirties up to maybe their sixties. And so a a friend of mine uh, gave me this quote as I was traveling. And again, it's a paraphrase of of another quote. I don't remember who it was. I think it might've been Alan Watts or something. And essentially it's, we don't go to our favorite concert just to hear the encore. And what that simply means is you, you want to see the entire show. Like you don't just work your, you don't just work your, your tail off until you're 60 or 65 years old with your nose to the grindstone. And then at 65, wake up one day and start to live your best life. Because as I learned from my friend who died of breast cancer, tomorrow's not promised. Mm, yeah. And so what I, what, I, what I mean by this is that people say in their 20s and 30s, maybe I think it's a, it's a good reminder to not sell your soul. Don't do things that don't inspire you, that don't, don't bring you passion and excitement early in your career to maybe people in the middle of the end of their career thinking like, you know what? 
I have this opportunity, this window, this, uh, this chance to do something. It doesn't have to be a two year bike tour, obviously. Like that's, that's not realistic for, for so many of the population. Mm -hmm. Like I was, I was lucky. I was fortunate. And I know that, but maybe it's just sitting with your, with a cup of coffee, with a book in front of the fireplace one day a week. Maybe that's the place that you find inspiration, that you find happiness. Maybe it's going for a walk in the woods. It's just, it's this kind of this mindset, this mentality to do things that, that make you happy. And that's really who I think the book is going to be directed towards is that to inspire people of all ages, male, female, young and old, to just find your happiness, find your passion. Mm -hmm. Is this book available yet? It is. Yeah, it's actually available on my website. All right. Well, what's the website? It is jerrycopack.com. Oh, that's so simple enough. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll probably be in your, in your show notes. So easy to spell. Excellent. Okay. So I'm assuming some of these stories will show up in your book, but I know you've done, you know, you just kind of described all the different countries that you've been to on your bike. So there's got to be some epic bike packing or bike touring adventures that you want to share with us. A quick interruption to tell you this week's podcast is sponsored by Lizard Lips Lip Balm. These great lip balms contain natural ingredients, come in a variety of flavors, and you can choose certified organic or balms with sun protection. Check it out at lizardlips.net. Now back to the show. Definitely. There's, there's a lot. Uh, there's, there's a couple of particular that happened in a place that a lot of people would say, hey, don't go there. It looks really dangerous, my, my dad included. And it was in Israel. Mm. And you know, a lot of people, they read the news and they think, wow, there's a lot of danger there, a lot of heat there, there's, there's bombings and so forth. And honestly, that it just wasn't my experience. My, I was met with some of the most kind, generous people that I ever met any place in the world. And so I was bike touring through northern Israel, up along the, the Syrian and Lebanon borders. And there's definitely conflict up there. It's it's routine to see armored up Humvees patrolling the border, zooming by you on the roads, people walking around machine guns. And honestly, it just, it was never, it was never a, a thought or a concern of mine that my safety was in any way in jeopardy. Mm. But so one of my favorite stories is I had met a guy, he was an Israeli guy. I met him in Nepal when I was traveling and he said to me, Hey, if you ever find yourself in, in Israel, come and stay with me and you can stay with my family. And so one of those always say yes moments a couple months after I returned back from, from traveling from China and Eastern Tibet, I thought, let's go see what uh, my friend Yuval is up to. And so I was curious about Israel and that's went over there. And he also happens to be a bike packer. So he wanted to travel with me for the first couple of days and he would send me off by myself like the next month. And so we were going to take a bus from his house up to the North, up to the Syrian border and start our trip there. And he would cycle back home. And so in a, in a bunch of melee, uh, everything in Israel seems to be happening really fast and is really chaotic, not, not in a crazy, dangerous way, but just in a high-strung sort of a way. And so we're loading on this bus, and I sit down. It's pouring rain in a place that's not supposed to rain, so I'm already just completely messed up by that. <laughs> suffering from jet lag. I got in the day before. And do you have your and bikes say, hey, with you as well? Of course, yes. We're loading so you, the bikes okay, in, okay. You know, and then I get onto the bus, and I say, hey, you've all... Uh, I'm forgetting something. Where's where's my backpack? Did you grab it? It's like, no, dude. Why would I grab your backpack? And at that moment, I freaked out. Like, just, just 
sucked all the life and energy out of my body because in my backpack, which is what I strapped to my to my bike, is my passport, my phone, my wallet, oh, my credit cards, no. my laptop. Everything that I own that's not physically on my body or on the bike underneath the bus is there. So in a panic, I said, we've got to stop the bus. Talk to the bus driver. He's like, okay, I'll talk to the bus driver. And the bus driver simply says, we can't stop until the next bus stop, which is 15 miles away. Mm. And so I'm thinking, okay, how do I replace all these things? Because they're definitely stolen. And in the coming from the United States, if you leave a backpack like that, there's a good chance you won't see it's it again. Gonna, yeah. And there's <laughs> no way, well, I, you already know the answer to this, but it wasn't on your bike that was underneath the bus, right? Correct. It was sitting on the bench. I was going to bring it on the bus with me. Because <sighs> I had a four-hour bus ride up out that, so I was going to read or something on the bus the next four hours. And so I'm panicking, and finally he's like, don't worry about it. And he would say the word dude a lot. That was kind of his, his American slang. He's like, dude, don't worry about it. Uh, I think it'll be okay. In what world is this going to be okay? He's like, no, 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 listen to this. When people leave a backpack on a bench or in public in Israel, nobody steals it. Why? Why would nobody steal it? It didn't right. make sense. He said, do you know why? No. Do you have any idea? No. <laughs> he said, because people think it's a bomb. Oh, and so they don't my touch it. Gosh, no he said, way. He said, don't worry. I have a friend. Of course he did. In the bomb squad. I'll call him. He was just around the corner. So he did. We get off the bus 15 miles later, waiting there, waiting, waiting. This guy in a blacked out SUV shows up with a gray backpack like mine and hands it to me. It's like, are you out of your mind? It's like people didn't steal it because they thought it was a bomb. That so. is crazy. <laughs> and it's crazy that, I mean, it's like a great story, but it tells you how <laughs> unsafe in your head maybe that you should be yeah. feeling in that country. I right. don't know. Exactly. And it's like, okay, that's crazy. Wow. I, I think I saw some photos where you're parking your bike up against a fence and the sign says, you know, don't go beyond here because there's landmines, right? Landmines, exactly. What? <laughs> yeah. And so along that same line of, uh, of discussion, I was up. So once Yuval and I had split up, I was along the northern border. This time I was near Lebanon. And again, right where that sign was taken, I came in this little small town. And if you look, the, the border wall into Lebanon was, I mean, you could touch it. You could walk up to it and actually physically touch it. And so that was crazy. Again, har um, armored up Humvees are rolling through town. People walking on machine guns. And it's like no big deal. It's like people walking to work with their briefcases. It was just no big deal. So anyways, I walk into this, this, this coffee shop to get some water. And I should say that there is this bikepacking uh, Facebook page called Bikepacking Israel that I signed up to. And I put a post on there. I said, hey, my name is Jerry. I'm from the U.S. I'll be traveling in this region. And I would love to connect with people and tell me about ideas and places I should see along the way. So I totally had forgotten about that because that was weeks prior. And mm -hmm. I walk into this coffee shop and I need some water. And I've been, I'm, I've been traveling and sleeping in the dirt in the desert for for a week now and it's just it's kind of grubby and looking overall disheveled and the guy behind the counter looks at me kind of cocks his head and he says matter of factly are you jerry <laughs> and i say oh to him God. pardon me he's like are you jerry yeah yeah he's like okay hold on a second uh, and he goes into his pocket pulled out his mobile phone dials a number and hands me the phone of course i'm looking around for the camera like what what kind of game are we playing here so i said hello 
And the person on the, on the other blind says, hey, are you Jerry? He's like, yeah, I'm Jerry. Hey, do you need a place to sleep tonight? I'm like, yeah, I do, because I've had the hard time, because you can't just camp along the border, because you just can't do that. They don't allow it. Right. The military doesn't permit it. I was like, yeah, is there a place where I can camp? He said, no, no, no. Uh, give me your phone number. I'm going to drop a pin on your phone. Follow it to my house. My neighbor will meet you outside and let you in. I'm not home. I'll be back in a week. If you're still there, great. I'd love to meet you. If not, safe travels. Wow. Oh, and by, oh, and by the way, do you need the Wi-Fi password? <laughs> wow. And so it's like, okay, people really are just people. No matter what country I go to, yeah. whether it's whether it's India, Nepal, the United States, Israel, like, people are just people, man. And that's that's my big takeaway from all this. And did you actually go to this home? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I, you know, he, he had, it was a one bedroom house. I slept in his bed and took a shower and there was some food in the fridge that I ate and then replenished and went to the store and left him obviously much more food than it was left for me and, and did whatever I could to, to try to return the favor. And, you know, it's one of those things like he didn't do it because he wanted something to return. Right. He did it because he was just being a good human and, Man, and so like it's like experiences like that that just inspire me to want to turn around and pass it along and pay it forward. Yeah, for sure. And I probably already know this answer, but like overall, what are your feelings of touring outside the U.S.? <laughs> uh, I think it's it's definitely it's a gift. Yeah. Not everyone can do it uh, because there's a cost component. I understand that. It's it's an it's an opportunity that if you're given, take it. Uh, and the and the reason that I believe this is because when we travel outside the U.S. as as Americans as people in, in the Western part of the world, we have this big country, but we only have exposure to to things in America. And when you travel outside of the U.S., you get the opportunity to see the world through people's eyes. You get to see perspectives through a different lens. And it just opens you up to this mentality that, again, people are just people. You know, I mean, if if I had just watched the news and thought, wow, everyone in Israel is crazy, which, by the way, is not even close to true. Mm. I wouldn't have gone to Israel if I didn't believe in this this curiosity, this this zest for for life and for for human connection. And that was really my most my most enjoyable thing. So like I, I've ridden my bike through the Himalayas in Nepal and in India and in Eastern Tibet. And I've been through Kyrgyzstan and I've been to Morocco and I've been to Turkey and, and now through, through Israel. But honestly, my most, my most precious takeaway, my most favorite memories are from the people that I've met and the connections that I've made. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you've made lifelong friends from, you know, just crazy by chance interactions. That's what's really, really cool to hear. Yeah. And again, just goes back to my Swiss friends. Like we've, since we split up after that six months together, we had scheduled a couple other trips that we were able to take together. Like we were, we went to Morocco for two or three weeks. We went to Kyrgyzstan for a couple of weeks and then they finally invited me to, to Switzerland. And I, gladly went to Switzerland to stay in their home for a couple of weeks. Mm. And the the funny thing is, is that you know, I'm from Colorado. I live here and we have beautiful mountains and they're from Switzerland. They have mountains. And so we met in Nepal, traveled through mountains. So if you were to ask me, are you a mountain person or an ocean person? Like 10 times out of 10 mountains. Right. And so 
I was joking about, oh, yeah, we've got mountains in Colorado. And, of course, they would jokingly say back, like, we've, we've been to Colorado. You guys have hills. And I thought, <laughs> well, that's, that's a little ridiculous. And then so they would say, if you want to see real mountains, come to Switzerland. It's like, all right, har, har, har. That was our joke for probably like two years. And finally, when they invited me and I actually went to Switzerland, man, they were right. <laughs> Switzerland's mountains. I mean, they look like they were snatched from the pages of a comic book. I mean, they look, they're incredible. <laughs> so, yeah, they were right. Colorado's incredible. I love incredible. I love the mountains of Colorado, but man, Switzerland is something out of this world. Yeah. I've only seen the photo, so I uh, can only, I'm only going to imagine it through what you've told me. <laughs> so, yeah, to, to answer your question, if you have the opportunity to travel outside of the U.S., I, I think it's, it's truly a gift that if you can do it, take it. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of people listening to this podcast have not gone to other countries outside of the U.S. and have really not had the opportunity to maybe do bike touring, but they probably maybe want to. So do you have any, like, I don't know, inspiration you can pass on? Yeah. Um, for a lot of people who haven't done this, either because they're not cyclists or just because they haven't done it, they don't have the gear, you don't need to have all the, the fancy stuff, the fancy bikes. Mm. Wh whatever bike you have is the bike that you have, and that works. And if you can do a little bit of research, um, try if you can to sort of overcome any fears and just start small. Go go sleep someplace that's near your house so it's familiar, and if things go wrong, yeah, you've got an easy out. And then and build yourself up from there. My, uh, my first bike tour, interestingly enough, was – I got to go to Spain many, many years ago and probably 2005 or 2007 and it was short and I had a friend who was working there and she offered me the opportunity to come visit her and I had never been outside of the country before and that scared the heck out of me, even though I had had two years of high school Spanish many, many years before that. But yeah, as far as things that you could do, again, just, just start small and go go sleep someplace that's close, that's familiar to you, and then gradually build up from there. So you don't have to go out for two years and call yourself a bicycle <laughs> tourist. You can go, you know, to the next the next community over. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> whether you're, you know, whether you're in the, the city, whether you're in the Midwest, the mountains, the Southeast, or wherever you are in the country or the world, like, there's a place where you can just go ride your bike for 30 minutes or an hour and just kind of get away from your home and just go sleep somewhere and see what it's like. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Very, very cool. So like what's next for you? Do you have any trips planned or a book tour or are you just going <laughs> to hang, hang at home for a while? Yeah, I actually just got back from, a four-week trip to northern India Ooh. up by the Pakistan border. So how was and what was that all about? That was just, uh, you know, I had been missing being in India and I haven't traveled since COVID, and I was definitely, I was definitely eager to get on the road again. And I just the opportunity presented itself, and so I took it. But this time was different because I had been traveling by myself. Mm -hmm for the, the prior times until I met my Swiss friends and I traveled with them a little bit. And this time uh, I traveled with a partner and it was her first time doing any kind of bike traveling like this. And so we both had this, this rare window of opportunity. So we initially had planned to go to Spain to visit some mutual friends, but then some things changed in, in both of our schedules and we had a little bit more time. So we went to India. 
And it was, it was a, a great experience. And it was also very different because I'm used to traveling by myself, knowing what I'm capable of, knowing how resilient I am, knowing what things do or do not concern me or do or do not scare me. And it was different to travel with a person who has all of those same emotions within her. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to figure those things along the way. And so we had an incredible experience. And I, I will say the way to get to really know your partner is to go bike tour through India. That will, <laughs> that will expose any, any insecurities, <laughs> any, any, any uh, soft points in the ice or anything else like that. Like you'll, you'll figure it out quick. And, you know, we, we're both really, really, um, really dedicated people and really resilient. So we had an incredible experience. Oh, that's great. Hopefully uh, there are some blog entries either that exist already or will soon. So we can all uh, see what it was like. <laughs> Coming for sure. Okay, good, good, good. And do you have any trips scheduled? Uh, no, I, I don't. I currently right now I, I teach Nordic skiing in Breckenridge, Colorado, and we're in high season. So oh, fun. I'll, I'll, I'll be here until maybe the spring, until, until the season comes to an end. And, oh, man, I just – going to India, it just really revived my, my spirit and my desire to be on the road again. So I would love to go somewhere in the spring, uh, even for a week or two, if I could pull it off. Sure. Um, yeah, so maybe that trip to Spain where our friends were, or I know just south of Spain is, is Morocco right there, so maybe try to link both those together. I don't know. Um, I'm just really fortunate so that I can even think like this, so yeah. we'll see what happens. I agree. Well, I know uh, The World Spins By is, you know, like you said, it's available on your website. Well, I will say... If you buy from my website, it'll come with a little personal note from me. Ooh, okay, that's cool. So tell the listeners again uh, your website, and also if that blog still exists, where that where you can find that. Yeah, the blog is still on my website at jerrycopack.com. I also post a lot of interesting stories on Instagram. Same thing, Jerry Kopak. So yeah, I think check me out there and. Hopefully you'll enjoy the stories that I share. Excellent. Thanks for having me. And you do such a great job with your show. And I feel so fortunate to be a part of it. Ah, thank you so much. All right. Well, everybody go to jerrykopak.com, buy his book, The World Spins By, and um, you might get a handwritten note in there too. (laughs) Sounds great. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Jerry. Well, that's it for this week. A few great deals to send your way. Use code MURFOLOGY at hammerhead.io to get a free heart rate monitor with your crew, too. And a shout-out to Lily Trotter's Compression Socks. Use code MURFOLOGY to get 20% off your purchase of the best compression socks. Also use code PRIMALMURF for 20% off your Primal Wear cycling gear at primalwear.com. Of course, email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com if you have a topic or the name of a cyclist you find interesting. Support my podcast at patreon.com slash morphology and visit my Facebook, Instagram, and website for daily entertainment. I have more great episodes in the pipeline, so I hope you continue to be a Morphology Podcast listener.